The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, Springs Church. Welcome to you in the name of Jesus Christ. I want to thank Logan uh, for that excellent retelling of one of the scenes of Luke chapter 24. Um, And I would actually really like to take a moment just to encourage even more creative engagement with Scripture in this church. Uh, We have so much talent in this congregation in so many different areas, uh, whether you're an actor, an architect, or an artist, or a songwriter, a writer, a poet, whatever you have, um, I think it is beautiful, and we love God well, and we love His Word well when we engage and take it seriously enough to engage with it creatively. Uh, so I'd, I'd love to continue to see more of that from our youth, from anybody uh, in this congregation, from one to a hundred. So um, thank you for that, Logan. And he, his uh, story there actually ends just before our text this morning. Uh, so we're going to pick up right there in Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 48. I'll go ahead and, and read them before we begin. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. And God, we give thanks for the new mercies that meet us this morning and the way that this morning has been changed by that Easter morning. Lord, we thank you for the light of the resurrection that shines upon us and changes how we see everything, changes what we do. God, let that light of the resurrected Jesus shine on your scripture this morning. God, I ask for the gift of preaching, and I ask for your light to illuminate our hearts this morning in the hearing of your word. We praise you, Heavenly Father, and it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray these things. Amen. I'm not allowed to scare my wife. 
I guess it was like written into the marital contract somewhere, fine print, or maybe it was in the vows and I missed it. But I'm not allowed to, it just, it, it wouldn't end well. But when Lara's best friend Megan asked me to help her surprise her, I thought, loophole. And so Megan decided she lives a few states away in Colorado, and they hadn't seen each other for a little while. And so Megan was like, I want to surprise Lara. And I was like, happy to. Um, so I arranged for her to get into our house, unbeknownst to Lara, and we were out that night. And so we came home, and Megan had texted me that she was in our uh, bedroom, but actually off in the master bathroom, off of our bedroom. And so we, we walk in. And I remember that uh, Lara was very intently showing me something on her phone. And um, so as she's looking down at her phone, I see Megan, and we're walking into the dark bedroom, and I see Megan begin to very creepily <laughs> sidle out of the bathroom into the bedroom, probably about as creepily as possible with this big grin plastered on her face. And if I could break this moment down into nanoseconds, <laughs> there was Lara staring at her phone, and she looked up for maybe two nanoseconds. And she looked back down for another nanosecond. And then she looked up and emitted a scream, <laughs> the likes of which humankind has never heard. <laughs> I mean, people describe screams as blood-curdling. I think the paint melted off the walls. <laughs> it was very, very scary. <laughs> it was a very surprising moment. Uh, and it was wonderful to see Megan. I know Lara was excited to see her best friend, but it was not the entrance that maybe she had hoped for. And however scary that moment was, uh, seeing your best friend from a few states away sidling into your bedroom from the bathroom to axe murder you. <laughs> however scary that was, it has nothing on seeing your recently crucified friend appear out of nowhere in an upper room a few days later. Whatever happened with Megan and Lara and I in that room, it has nothing on what we find here in Luke chapter 24. And Luke indeed writes that Jesus stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. Now before we go any further, uh, I think we need to do just a little bit of mapping of the ancient world, and not geographical mapping, but belief mapping. Uh, because I think some of us today tend to, maybe we, we might dismiss some of these resurrection stories, or, or some of our friends would like to dismiss these resurrection stories by saying, well, you know, this is a story from the ancient world, and uh, people believed all sorts of things back then. There were all kinds of theories about many things, and so of course they could be duped into believing this story about Jesus being risen from the dead. Um, 
Now, part of that is true. Uh, people, people did believe all sorts of interesting things and have all kinds of theories in those days. Now, I think we should note that a quick little glance around the World Wide Web and people still believe all sorts of interesting, weird things. But the problem with that is that people adamantly did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. Pagans especially in Jesus' day adamantly did not believe that people came back to life. Um, we kind of, you know, with the advent of modern science, we kind of tend to think, well, we've got plenty of empirical evidence now and we don't believe in that sort of thing anymore. But people had plenty of evidence of dead people not rising again in those days. There was plenty of reason not to believe, and the pagans certainly did not. Now, many Jews in Jesus' day, to continue mapping here, they did believe in a resurrection of the dead, but it would be at the end of history. They believed that God would, would raise either all of them or, or all of humanity one day, uh, the day of the Lord, but they emphatically didn't believe in the raising of one human being in the middle of history. People in the ancient world did not believe that people came back to life. The road to death was a one-way street. And so it is in the middle of this terrain, this kind of belief map of the ancient world, that we have this interesting little pin of the resurrection stories. This interesting little pin sticking up of these Easter, these breathless resurrection accounts talking about something completely unprecedented in human history. And this is where I want to pick up again then with our text in Luke chapter 24. And let's pick up again in verse 36. Where he says, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, why are you frightened and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate in their presence. Jesus has not seen the disciples since they deserted him. Jesus has not seen them since that day of his arrest and his trial and his crucifixion. And so he comes into this room, he appears... And he says, quite crucially, peace be with you. Jesus is perhaps a little nicer than you or I. If we maybe hadn't seen our best friends since then, we would maybe be tempted to enter with some different words. Like, boo. <laughs> or, you traitors, I'm back. But Jesus comes in and he says, peace be with you. 
But clearly it doesn't work because they're startled and, and they're terrified still. And so Jesus says, hey, why are you doubting? Look, I'm not a ghost. I've got hands and feet. You can touch me. And in that vein, Jesus actually says, hey, have you got anything to eat? Which I love. Uh, you know, it's kind of like, man, this whole, uh, this whole dying and rising thing really gives you the munchies. Like, have you guys got any snacks? Because I could really go for some Long John Silvers right now. But the disciples, they, they give Jesus a piece of broiled fish. And you'll find that a lot of um, scenes in Luke's gospel take place around meals, take place around the table. And so Jesus begins to eat. And so uh, this is strange though, right? Because Jesus has a body, but clearly something has happened to that body. In this very same scene that Jesus is appearing out of nowhere, in this same scene where he is appearing out of nowhere, he can also be seen and touched. He can eat. He can be felt. Jesus has a body, but something has happened to that body. He has a resurrection body. Something has happened to Jesus' body, but he still has a body. Yesterday was the uh, funeral for Pam Estep's mother, Glennis, and it was a wonderful uh, little celebration of her life. Um, and I was struck by one of the verses that Mark read at the funeral, um, which was 1 Corinthians 15, 54, um, in celebration of Glennis. And I, I want you to hear it because I'm interested in how Paul's words kind of cross-pollinate with Luke's account. In, in chapter 24, Paul says, When this perishable body puts on imperishability, and this mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will be fulfilled, Death has been swallowed up in victory. This is one of the great resurrection texts in all the New Testament. And Paul says, when perishability puts on imperishability, when mortality puts on immortality, then death will be swallowed up in victory. And this is our Christian hope. Our Christian hope is not just to be swept away to some disembodied heaven forever. It's that God would raise us to new life. He would resurrect these physical bodies and in an act of new creation, bring us into his new heavens and new earth. This is our resurrection hope that death will be swallowed up in victory. And what we find is that this is what has already happened to Jesus. Jesus' body that perishable flesh has become imperishable. That mortal body has clothed itself in immortality and now Jesus' body is, is both at home in heaven and on earth. Jesus' body is now at home in heaven and on earth. That's presumably why he can disappear and appear at will. That the life of heaven now resides in Jesus' body 
somehow. Jesus has a body, but it is a resurrected body. It is a foretaste of our very same Christian hope. Uh, my favorite C.S. Lewis book is a little allegory called The Great Divorce. And it tells the story of these residents of hell who take a bus trip to heaven. And uh, when they get there, uh, the narrator, the protagonist, tells us that they're, they're walking around the grass and the foothills of heaven. But it's painful walking around because the grass is, is as hard as diamonds. Uh, and so he, he looks around and he sees his fellow passengers and he notices that as they're walking on the grass, their feet aren't even moving the grass. Uh, even the dew drops on the grass are totally undisturbed by these people walking around. Um, and so he, he bends down and he actually tries to, to pluck a daisy, uh, but he, he, he wrenches and strains and tries to break it and he finds that, it, again, it's as hard as a diamond. He can't budge it. He even slices and kind of loses some skin trying to pull it up. And then perhaps even more shockingly, he, he looks around and he notices that his fellow passengers here in the foothills of heaven are translucent. He, he can see through them. Uh, that they, they look like he describes them as kind of like human-shaped stains on the landscape. They're blurry, they're see-through. And he, he describes them, he says, The men were as they always had been, as all the men I had known had been, perhaps. It was the light, the grass, the trees that were different. Made of some different substance, so much solider than things in our country, that men were ghosts by comparison. So what... What Lewis is trying to convey here is that the stuff of heaven is not less real than the stuff of earth. The substance of heaven, of God's space, of, of the life of heaven is not somehow less real or less solid than the stuff of earth. In fact, it is more real. It is more substantive than anything we can possibly imagine. As is Jesus' body in Luke 24. Jesus' body is not less real. It is perhaps more real, more substantive than any body the world has ever encountered. Jesus... His body has somehow entered into this transfigured reality of the kingdom of heaven. And it is at home both in heaven and on earth. And that is because he is the first fruits of God's new creation. More real, more solid than anything we can imagine. And this has some major implications for us, church. Let's continue with Jesus' words to the end of our passage. He says, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. 
I want to highlight just two things that the resurrection of Jesus' body changes for us. And the first thing is that the resurrection changes Scripture. Or we might say it differently, that the resurrection changes how we read and interpret Scripture. Right? Because Jesus says, hey, all these things that, was, that were written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, all of these things have been fulfilled in the dying and rising of the Messiah. And so he opens their minds to understand the scriptures. And so Jesus is saying, hey, you can't read this the same as you ever did. You can't open up Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus and read it and pretend like Jesus didn't rise from the dead. You can't open up the prophets, you can't open up the Psalms and just pretend that the Messiah didn't die and rise from the dead. It changes the way we read Scripture. The resurrection has changed Scripture. And secondly, the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes the world. And not just the world generically, but notice that Jesus says repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. The resurrection means that God is, is not the God of just one little tract of land. God is, is not the God of just one little building. God has invaded in the resurrected body of Jesus and that means that matter matters. Jesus' body has been raised, and that means that everybody matters. All nations. God is the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob, and He's the God of the entire cosmos because Jesus has risen from the dead. N.T. Wright recounts this parable about a university that is given uh, this illustrious gift from a very wealthy, um, powerful alumnus. And the gift that they receive is this painting that is absolutely magnificent. Uh, it is unprecedented in the history of art. It is just an absolute beautiful, incredible painting. And, and so what they find is that this painting is so unique that the, it won't fit into any of the spaces that they have. Uh, they can't find a place to display it. Uh, none of the current structures will fit this unprecedented, illustrious painting that they've received. And so they're faced with really one legitimate option. Pull themselves down and rebuild around the gift. And so they do. They begin the, the renovation process. They begin to pull themselves down and, and rebuild. And what they find is that all of the best things about the university become enhanced as they rebuild around this painting. All of the, the most wonderful things that already existed are, are, are made even better by these new structures in place. 
And they also find that all of the the difficulties of the university, all the problems that everybody there that knew about, all the structural flaws and cosmetic issues and, and design deficiencies are corrected as they're rebuilding around this new painting. This painting is so unprecedented, so magnificent, that their only option is to pull down and rebuild around it. This is the effect of the resurrection of Jesus Christ on our world and on our worldview. The resurrection of Jesus is so unprecedented, so beautiful, so magnificent, that it calls us to pull down all of our existing belief structures and rebuild around it. The resurrection calls us to pull down everything and rebuild around the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. That we can't view ourselves anymore the same way. We can't view each other the same way. We can't view time, space, history, science, anything. Nothing can stay the same because it must be pulled down and rebuilt around the risen Jesus Christ. The risen Jesus calls us to pull down and rebuild around Him. And and what we find is that all of the best things about our worldview are enhanced and all of the worst things begin to be corrected and healed. So the environmental, environmental activist who didn't believe in God but cared for the world out of some innate feeling that this world matters, now finds in the light of the risen Jesus that new creation begins now. And how we care for it matters. And the, the agnostic freshman who spends his weekends uh, on binge drinking and casual sex finds in the light of the risen Jesus that our bodies matter and who we give our bodies to matters. And, and the, the would-be Christian who would despise or abuse someone based on the makeup of their body or based on the color of their skin finds on Easter morning the scarred risen body of a Middle Eastern Semitic man raised in glorious life. The resurrection enhances the best and corrects the worst of everything we see in the world. Nothing can stay the same because Jesus has called us to pull down and rebuild around him. Because time has been invaded by eternity. The corruptible has been invaded by the incorruptible and the old has been invaded by new creation. So nothing can stay the same. David Bentley Hart says that Easter should make rebels of us all. The 
resurrection of Jesus' body calls us to tear it all down and to rebuild around him. Church, how are you going to do that? How are we going to do that? How are we going to tear down our knowledge, our passions, our priorities and rebuild around Jesus Christ? That's what new creation asks of us. Let's begin by standing and praising him together this